Uh, God, I just thank you so much for my friends who are here, for my friends who are watching online today. Lord, we know um, that your desire is for us to be encouraged by fellow believers. And so today, Lord, through your word, um, maybe through our call ministry or our our letter writing ministry, uh, that you would encourage folks today, that you would, as Greg said, in in such a wonderful communion meditation, that... um, God loves us and that each person in this room, each person who's watching online, uh, each person that God has created and called are are special. They have a purpose and they're beautiful in his sight, in your sight, Lord. So God, remind us of that today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Friends, I I don't know about you, but I thought worship was awesome this morning. Uh, I love our worship team. And, and I'll say this, you know, Greg is my friend, but I'm not biased. I've heard a lot of communion med- meditations, um, in my lifetime. And that communion, med- that communion thought was one of the best communion thoughts I've heard in years. So <clears throat> grateful, grateful for that. So my dad always quotes Mark Twain, who says the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. Now, Who in here knows your birth date? Who used to know it, but you've probably forgotten it? Who would like to forget it because you don't like the the number that's beside it, right? Most of us know our birth date, but most of us don't know the why to why we're living. Uh, Simon Sinek is a leadership guru who, who said that in a circle, concentric circles, that the outside circle is the how, the, it, the next circle inside is the, the, uh, uh, it's when, how, or what, how, but the most important in the middle circle is the question why. Why do you do anything? You know what you do, you know how you do it, but unless you know why you do it, you are going to fail woefully short of the goal that you have set out for yourself. Most of us understand the day that we are born. Most of us maybe don't understand the why as to why we're living and what we're doing and what we were created to do. And we've kind of used a verse from Ephesians chapter 2 that I'm going to point you to today. If you want to memorize a verse through this text, this series, this is the one I want you to memorize. How many of you think you can memorize one verse? Please go home and memorize it. This is what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, For we are God's... He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things He planned for us long ago. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. You see, I believe that deep down, all of us were created for a purpose. That when God designed us, when he knit us together in in our mother's wombs, he knew before the beginning of time who you were going to be, what he was going to call you to do, and he has created you specifically for that moment. He has given you a personality and talents and gifts in order for you to fulfill the mission that he has called you to. And deep inside of you, you know what that mission is. You've known since you were a child what you were created to do, what you were fashioned to do, what you were dreamed of being and who you dreamed of becoming. Because God created us to live for a purpose. 
The problem is, is that sometimes we forget to ask the most important questions. Sometimes we don't understand that part of the beauty of the life that God has given to us is not that the story happens immediately for us or we don't get what we want when we want it. But the reality is, is that God allows us to live through life and see his hand and see his purposes become reality. And so we need to ask the question, why was I born? How will I accomplish the mission that I was born for? And just as important of a question is, when is the right time to engage in that mission? And today we're going to talk about the wind because the wind, W-E-N, is really a doozy in life. Have you ever jumped the gun on anything? You ever jumped the gun on anything? Like, um, have you ever taken the clothes out of the dryer before they were dry? Tried to wear them? Have you ever eaten food before it was properly baked? Have you ever made a financial decision too early or too late in your life? Have you ever pushed your sibling into a pond hoping that they would learn to swim before they were ready? My grandpa Krill uh, lived to be 94 years, 92 years old, and uh, he passed away in 2011. But he used to tell me a story that when he was young, a teenager, he didn't know how to swim. And so his brothers took him out to the middle of a pond and pushed him over the, overboard so that he would learn how to swim. He said, and, and you know, he, could, he was a great storyteller. He said, I sank right to the bottom, Shane. I said, what did you do, Grandpa? He said, well, I just walked all the way out of the water. <laughs> Have you been pushed in to swim before you were ready to swim? Have you ever began to... Have you ever began, tried to begin a romance before it was time for the romance to blossom? My uh, wife said that when she was a freshman in college, she had a friend who came up to her and said, Erica, I believe God has called us to be together. And she looked at him and she said, well, don't you think God would have told me that too then? (laughs) Friends, timing matters. The timing in our story matters. There was a story of an old piano player, teacher who was teaching a young student about timing. And he said, the notes on the page really don't make a difference until you add the timing to what's being played. Because the beauty of a piano piece is the timing that we follow so we can see the story. And so he walked over to his piano student and he said, what I would like you to do is play these eight notes. And you tell me what song you heard. And he played this. He played this. And his teacher was like, that doesn't sound like anything. Hey, can you guys turn on the piano? (laughs) He played those notes and the teacher said, what do you hear? And he said, I just hear notes. He said, ah, but listen to what's played when timing is added. Let's give Kevin a hand for that masterful music. 
Listen, timing matters in music, timing matters in life. How we engage in what we are called to do matters. It can be the right thing at the wrong time, and it's still the wrong thing, friends. Timing when we're called to a mission matters. And last week we got a glimpse into the life of Moses, into a young Moses, and we saw his talent, and we saw his training, and we saw his accomplishments. We knew that he was destined for greatness as we read his story last week. He knew that he was destined for greatness as he lived out his story. He knew that his purpose from an early age that God had put him in a place, and he had put this desire in his heart, and he knew from his mother and from his family, his Hebrew mother and family, that his purpose was to free his people from slavery. After all, he knew his heritage. He knew that he had been trained by the best teachers and leaders in the world. He understood leadership. He understood the Egyptian culture. He had just led the Egyptian army in a smashing, stunning victory over a surging Ethiopian army that was threatening to take over all of Egypt. He was extremely well positioned and extremely confident. He understood that the Hebrews had been praying for a long time, for hundreds of years, for their freedom. And Moses believed that he was the answer to their prayers. This is what we read in Acts chapter 7. If you want to turn your Bibles with me or your mobile devices, I encourage you to bring your Bibles to Tuesday Church. Get used to turning the pages or using your Bible app or whatever you want to use. But this is what it says. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives. Notice that he understands who his relatives are. The people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. I highlighted this or I bolded this for you. Underline it in your Bible or your app, if you would. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. But they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country. Friends, God's timing doesn't always make sense to us. Everything seemed right to Moses, right? What he didn't understand is that God needed Moses to become a shepherd, not a leader or a tactician. Uh, to Moses and to most of us reading the story, we look at this and we said, there couldn't have been a more perfect time for him to rise up and to lead the people of uh, the Hebrew people out of slavery in bondage. I mean, he was young, he was strong, he was accomplished, he was at the height of his influence. His people, the Lord's people, were the suffering slaves of the Egyptians. Why wouldn't this be a perfect time? He had just come off the, the incredible uh, defeat of the, the Ethiopian people. He was a general, he was revered throughout Egypt at that time. Is there not more a per, is there not more of a perfect time for him to lead a revolution, a revolt against the Egyptians to free God's people? I mean, he was sitting prime. And then everything blew up in his face. Because the right to, uh, the right thing in the wrong time is still the wrong thing. 
And friends, the wrong thing at the wrong time often leads to bitter disappointment and sadness. And so he's trying to do the right thing. He protects the Hebrew from an Egyptian. He tries to reason the next day with two Hebrews who are fighting. But rather than listening to his wisdom and rallying to his call, the one chastises him. Remember, Moses is a general. He is the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Yet this Hebrew says, who made you ruler and judge over us? When he speaks to Moses, Moses understands that word of his deed had trickled through the community of the Hebrews and that the ears of the palace certainly would know what had happened, that he had killed an Egyptian to protect a Hebrew. And it's in that moment, in that Moment, he realizes that everything that he believed that he was created to do had just been undone. His position, his safety, his ability to lead, his wealth, his influence, everything everything is gone. And so he has one option. He runs for his life. Now, can you imagine the conversation that he's having with God as he's running away from the powers of the Egyptians? The anger, the frustration, the despair, the heartache. I mean, God, you put me in this place of leadership to lead. You've trained me to be a leader and a general. Why would you take this opportunity away from me? I mean, the people, your people are crying out to you from slavery, Lord. You say that you love them. You say that you were going to redeem them. You said that you were going to send a savior. You put me in the palace to be that man. I am a leader and yet you chose not to use me. Why would you allow this to happen to me, God? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been frustrated by God's timing when it's not your timing? Maybe Moses' cry, the cry from his heart would be similar to what the psalmist would write hundreds of years later. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Friends, the truth is, is we can't always see what we don't see. That's deep, man. Or elementary. I'm not sure. Sometimes it's one and the same, right? We can't always see what we don't see. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. You've heard some of this before, but when I was about five years old, my mom started praying for a wife for me. Uh, when we would pray together at prayer time, she would, she would pray. I'm sure she prayed before that, but that's just the earliest I, I remember. Um, and I, I always wanted to be married. That was the, the desire of my heart. I wanted a family. My goal was to go to Bible college, marry somebody, and then uh, start right after with two kids and a wife and a church of 200. That was the goal. And so um, as I was working through this, I remember my mom just saying, God's going to provide. God's going to provide. He knows you've been called 
to ministry, son. Um, I know that, that God is going to use you and he's going to provide a soulmate. And so we go through that and um, she just kept saying, trust in the Lord. When you go to Bible college at Great Lakes Christian College, God's going to provide a wife because those women are um, called to ministry just like you are. And ministry is a calling. It's not a job. So he's going to provide for you. And I thought, well, that's awesome. So I was getting all geared up. I went to Great Lakes Bible College and no one wanted to date me as much as I tried. I was kind of a, you know, everyone just abdicated. Not me, not me. And so I ended up being single, graduating from Bible College, which was a problem if you want to go and ministry and do ministry together. And so we just kept working through this and working through this, kept praying, God, please send me a wife, please send me a wife. You know, and my friends began to get married and some of them got divorced and got married again. And I still was single and I kept saying, God, what about me? What about me? Do I have to be alone forever? God, have you forgotten me? Until I was 38 years, 10 months, and 27 days old, I was able, something like that, I was able to get married Amen. to the, my best friend. So, but here's what I didn't know, that God was working behind the scenes and there was work that he had to do in me and there's work that he had to do in Erica, things that I couldn't even begin to understand. When my mom was praying for my wife when I was 10 years old, this is what I look like. Picture number one. When I was 10 years old praying for my wife, this is what my wife looked like. (laughs) In 1990, my junior year, when I'm 17 years old and and my mom is preparing me saying, hey, you're going to find your wife at Bible college or that's our prayer and that's our hope. This is what I look like. Notice the nice uh, mullet there and the cool sweater. That's my mom. In 1990, when I was 17 years old, praying for a wife, this is what my wife looked like. (laughs) In 2000, I remember going to a restaurant and and shedding tears because I was going to start a new millennial alone and saying, God, I don't understand. And I got the the opportunity to travel to Israel and, and I was beginning to travel the world. And this is a picture of me at the Dome of the Rock. Trying to figure out my life, serving God in ministry, working on a master's degree. In 2000, this is where my wife was. Graduating from high school. You see, we don't see what we can't see. I wanted God to answer my prayer right now. But no time before when we met would have been right time for us to come together. You see, the... The great thing about God is, is the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, he says, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What I didn't know that my wife was on a journey as well during my journey and during my loneliness, during my trying to figure out God's purpose for my life and why God had waited so long to bring me someone. And as I was walking and I would yell at God and God and I would get in big fights, he would always win. But I would always say, God, why me? Why me? Why hasn't this worked out for me? What I didn't know is that in high school, my wife had become an atheist. Walked away from God, began to ridicule Christians because what she had experienced in church... who she saw Jesus to be lived out in the lives of others who were in position of leadership didn't jive with the God of the Bible. 
And so she went to college her freshman year and she started noticing people who were abnormally kind to her, people who took an interest in her, people who would help her move into her dorm room, people who would just say nice things to her in class. And she's like, who are these weirdos? And she said, I want to know why they're different. And she ended up going to a campus ministry where all of them congregated. And through their teaching and through their leadership, she began to, to have a whole new appreciation for who God was. She fell in love with Jesus so much so that she had been accepted to a doctoral program to study psychology. She turned that down to go to seminary because she said, if this is truly who God is, I would do well to figure out who he is, what he's like and how I can serve him. And so she gave her life, she, she put her dreams on hold and she went to seminary where they convinced her that she needed to become a small groups minister. And that's what she did. And eventually that's where, how we would meet, although I fired her on her first day. It's okay, she refused to leave. But her prayer had always been, after she found her love for Christ, she would say, God, wherever you need me to go, send me where no one else will go. And the Lord did, didn't he? You see, we don't always see what we can't see. We don't understand what God is doing in the background. We want our timing when it may not be our timing because we may not be ready. The plan may not be ready to to engage in. So hold on. Because God has not forgotten you. You were born with a purpose. You are a masterpiece. He has created you for his plans. And friends, your season is not over. Do you think that God had one plan for you and you accomplished it when you were 47 years old and now all of a sudden he's done with you? Or when you're 67 or 87 or 92? Listen, if God has given you a... Come on, if God has given you... He has given you a, and you are not done. So what is God doing in you and through you and how he wants to use you to change the lives of other people around you and in ministry and in service? You all can make a difference. You all are making a difference in the way that you interact with people, the way that you connect with people, the things that you say in the marketplace and at Publix and at Walmart and at the Ford dealership as you drive away in your new Mustang, which I wish I had. God is not done with you. Sometimes we can't see what we don't see. A.W. Tozer was a theologian and he said this, and it's a hard saying, but it's true if you think about it. It's doubtful that God can use anyone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. Now, we don't like to think about that. But think about this for a moment. The greatest seasons of growth in your life most likely didn't happen during your seasons on the mountaintops. Most likely your greatest seasons of growth happened in your seasons in the valley because that's where fruit grows in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And we are somehow transformed by God into what God wants us to be to accomplish his mission because we are masterpieces created long ago with a purpose to live out his purpose so that we can accomplish the mission.
Winston Churchill said, there comes a special moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person was born, that special opportunity when he seizes it will fulfill his mission, a mission for which he is uniquely qualified. In that moment, he will find greatness. It is his finest hour. And all of you have more of those moments to live. If you choose to accept the mission. And I said last week, if not, this message will self-destruct in 10 seconds. Anybody know who this guy is? Who is it? What is he best known for? The George Foreman grill. For some of you, that is true, but maybe you didn't know his whole story. He was born in 1949 in Texas, and he spent his youth growing up in the 50s and 60s. And um, according to his autobiography, he lived a really rough life. He was a really troubled kid. At the age of 15, he dropped out of high school. He started engaging in the mugging of people. In other words, stealing people's money. At the age of 16, he was watching TV when he saw an advertisement for the Job Corps. And so he begged his mom to sign him up. And so he went into the Job Corps. Uh, he ended up getting his GED. He became trained as a carpenter. But the whole while, he was pursuing his passion, his love, which was boxing. And that boxing passion would take him to the 1968 Olympics, where he would win the gold medal in the heavyweight division uh, at the age of 19 years old. Now, the next year he went pro and he had great success right away as a boxer. At the age, uh, age of 24 in 1972, George Foreman became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world by defeating a guy by the name of Joe Frazier. But in 1974, George Foreman would lose his title to a guy by the name of Sting Like a Butterfly, Muhammad Ali, in what has become known as the Rumble in the Jungle. After that fight, George took some time off and just allowed his body to heal and, and tried to get right mentally. And a couple years later, he would go back. I think it was like 18 months later, he went back to fight again. In a 12-month period, George Foreman would win five fights. But March 17, 1977 was a night that would change him forever. That night he was fighting a guy by the name of Jim, Jimmy Young, but that's not really important. Uh, he lost that fight. And when he went back to the dressing room following the fight, he was suffering from exhaustion and heat stroke. And he says in his autobiography that he experienced a near death experience and that he found himself and he could sense that he was separated from God. And he said he could feel the heat of that separation. And so he cried out, even though he was not religious, even though he had never really had a relationship with God at all, he said, God, I believe in you. And God saved him and it changed George Foreman. It changed him so much that he would spend the next decade of his life pursuing God. And at the age of 28... With a record of 45 and 2, George hung up his boxing gloves for the next decade to follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting. It's usually in the process of losing that we understand what winning eventually will look like. It's when we lose that we see God most clearly. It's in the process of understanding our dreams through the lens of his grace, not our glory that is the life changer that we all need. 
And so George became an ordained minister. You know how he started out? Preaching on street corners in Houston. Can you imagine seeing George Foreman on a street corner telling you to accept Jesus or die? I don't know that he did that, but it would have been interesting. Eventually, there was a church that called him to be their pastor. And so he went to be that pastor. And at the same time, he opened up a youth center that he spent almost all of his money on called the George Foreman Youth Center. Now, for several years, that was his passion. But 1987, George Foreman was ready to enter the ring again. And he would later write in his autobiography that his primary motivation in returning was that he needed money to fund that youth center. He needed to help those kids. And the only way he could think about doing that was making money through fighting. And so he went back to to being a boxer. And for several years, he would continue fighting. And then 1991, my senior year of high school, there was an epic fight between he and Evander Holyfield for the championship. And George Foreman would lose. It wasn't the first title fight that he would fight in, and it was not the first title fight that he would lose. But eventually, on November 5th, 1994, all that would change. On that night, he was fighting the world champion, a guy by the name of Michael Moore, who is 19 years younger than George Foreman. No one believed that George Foreman had a chance to survive. After all, he was 45 years old. The champ was in the prime of his life, the prime of his conditioning. And this was just kind of a more fight for money type deal. But in that ring, George Foreman at the age of 45 regained the title that he had lost to Muhammad Ali two decades before. As the fight ended and the crowd erupted, George Foreman simply walked back to his corner. He knelt down and he prayed. Friends, when you start fighting for a greater purpose than yourself, anything is possible. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your love and your grace. And today, Lord, I I thank you for your example of Moses. We know that timing is so frustrating because there are times when we are ready to move, when we sense that you are not. And there are times when we are ready to move um, when you choose not to. And God, we don't understand because we can't see what we don't see. Lord, I know that in this room today that there are people who are struggling Peoples whose relationships are in jeopardy, people who are having health difficulties, people who have loved ones who are sick, people who are struggling financially. And Lord, they're wondering where you are. So today, God, would you give them your peace? Would you remind them in a very powerful and real way that you are right beside them and that you will never leave them or forsake them? Lord, we know that only hope that we have is from you. And so today we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would engage us. We pray that you would use us. We pray that you would help us to get up off the mat when we've been knocked down so that we can be champions in your eyes. Because Lord, we know that in the very beginning, before time began, that you knew who we were, that you created us for a purpose. And that as you knit us together in our mother's womb, you knew what we would do and what we needed to do. And so God, help us to live our dream. Help us to be reinvented day by day. Help us to see 
a new purpose to live out that builds upon the last purpose that you called us to every day. Because Lord, we know that every life in here, every life was made for a reason and for such a time as this. Help us to find that reason and that purpose and in your time. Lord, today, if people are struggling, um, we just encourage folks to come down to the corner where we're going to be standing so that we can pray for them. If there's anyone in this room who has never accepted you, Lord, as Savior and King of their life, Lord, help them to feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit today to do that because a life without you is no life at all. Our purpose can only be found and walk, walking with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.